Welcome to Product by Design with Kyle and Eva, a podcast about product management and product design, where we'll talk about subjects from product strategy to inclusive design. Every episode, we just have a good conversation about all the things that you may already know or not know, and occasionally we'll have a guest from maybe engineering or other product managers and designers to talk about all these topics. All right, welcome back to another episode of Product by Design with Kyle and Eva. And today we have a special guest with us, Rachel Larson. So, how are you two doing, Eva and Rachel? Good, very good. How are you, Rachel? Good. I'm really excited for this conversation. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I just want to point out that Rachel has like the most like professional background, and it's not one of those like fake bookshelf background. It's actual like. Cool bookshelves and like the whiteboard next to you. I am jealous. My background was very not that. So <laughs> the whiteboard is these really cool um, post-it like sticky boards. Oh, so it's just a laminated sticky whiteboard, and you can put it anywhere. Highly wow. recommend. I need a wall next to me. Yeah, that's yeah. No, that's probably yeah what I need to stick it on. But I I'm just jealous. Okay. Yeah. All right. Everybody, smile. We're gonna take like a picture here. For, oh, really? Okay, yeah, so we can it. tweet this out because that's, you're right, like our background. Yeah, the visual. I like Kyle's leather chairs better. Yeah, that's, yeah, I <laughs> I like, I, I like my office. It's a cool office. It's, you as far as like product management goes though, like I think you've got it. The Ikea bookshelves. <laughs> and, and the white. You look the most credible. Just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, you've got it. All right, here we go. One, two, three. There it is. Okay. We'll, we'll tweet that out. <laughs> <laughs> great Kyle you're smiling so big because you know your background also looks good and I think one of us here doesn't have such a good looking background which is me which is fine I moved like two months ago working on it but I'll get there this the cat tree gives you solid street cred in my book Eva thank you thank you yeah shout out to all the cat parents out there um so yeah and I also want to point out that um, it's been very sunny and very cold in Utah and we always complain about the weather and I hope you guys are also hating the weather with me here. Um, nobody likes this weather, right? No, I think it's going to get warmer soon. I hope so. Famous last Kyle. words. <laughs> yeah. Kyle, what about you? Am I liking the weather? Is that? Yes. No, it's, it's like the, the second <laughs> second winter. So like Utah always has. So that's, we go through like nice spring, like fake spring. And then mm. I think lots of people around the country go through that, right? Like you, you have fake spring where it kind of lures you in, like it's nice weather and then hits you again with like cold second winter, but we'll, we'll be there hopefully in the next couple of days. Back to nice. The beta spring. Be- yeah, beta. Beta the beta spring. Just beta released. <laughs> We're just testing it to see how everyone's excited for spring. Yeah. And, and then roll back that. because it's not quite yep. ready. And then re-release the actual, yep. the general release spring that is ready for everybody. We need to trademark that ASAP. I love that. Beta spring. Beta spring. You heard it here first on product by exactly. design. Ra- Rachel. Yeah, Credit hurry and edit everything yeah. today, Kyle. Put it out there today. It's yours. It's my gift to you. <laughs> Thank you. We'll start making merch with that. And yeah, but with this beta spring, also want to shout out to everyone who is also allergic to 
um, trees and flowers and all the pollen out there. Are you guys allergic to anything? I'm not. Oh, lucky. It used to be, but my allergies, I, I went through all of the allergy shots and stuff as a kid. So thankfully. Oh yeah. Not. How does that work? You, they, t- they, it's a horrible, horrible process where they scratch your back and then put the thing on you that makes you allergic. So your back just looks like you've been tortured and oh to figure out what you're allergic to. And then they mix all of that up into a little serum and then inject it in you twice a week as a child until you're wow. not allergic anymore. So that's pretty much the process. And once you do that for several years of your life, then you become not allergic. I don't know if it's different now, but that was what it was when I was a kid. Wow. I've seen people done that and they post photos of their back. I think that's where they do it on, yeah. on, on the internet. Okay. That's the process. But I didn't know that people do that to kids. The earlier you start it, I think the more effective it can be and the, the sooner you can get it over with. So you're not allergic anymore. So. Oh no. I was hoping that it can still work for adults because I've been severely allergic to elm trees and I've been checking pollen.com, which love pollen.com. Thank you for keeping me informed what's in the air. Um, anyways, so yeah, it's going to be a rough week for those who are allergic in the Utah Salt Lake city area. I'm, I am jealous that Rachel, you don't have any pollen allergies though. I don't. I'm allergic to bad music. Does that count? <laughs> Ooh, what do you classify as bad music? <laughs> no, you're going to get me targeted. I can't say. Okay. What do you classify as good music? Celine Dion. Okay. Have you been to Las Vegas to see Celine Dion? Seven times. Wow. Awesome. What? And Hold I had on tickets on her world tour that got canceled with COVID. So whenever she comes back to Salt Lake, I'll get to see her again. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. Kyle, feel free to cut out all the other things that we've talked about. Cause I just want to talk about how <laughs> Rachel, you're <laughs> in love with Celine Dion. Can I, I say am. that? I would probably, f- you, do you remember the video that went viral of Kristen Bell meeting a sloth? Where she like started sobbing on Ellen and like into a puddle and like couldn't even talk. That would be me with Celine Dion. It's a great video, but that would be me. I would just melt into like a puddle of tears and incoherent mumbles. Okay. um, If I ever met her. I have to ask why. Why Celine Dion? Um, I grew up listening to her music. My mom had every album and I learned every album. I know every word to every song in English and some in French. Um, Whenever I'm in a bad mood, a Celine Dion song can fix it. That... Sounds like a great tool, especially working in product. And I don't know how often you guys have that moment where you're like, I need to escape <laughs> to somewhere <laughs> nicer in, in the mental space. That sounds yeah. like a, yeah. Celine Dion is, is your pal for that. She is. She's my secret companion and she doesn't know. That's so awesome. she hears this. I love you, Celine. <laughs> Celine, if you're listening, please get in touch with us. <laughs> And become a product manager. <laughs> that too. But yeah, I, I hope that you get to see her soon. Really do. Yeah. Thank you. Is it, is, uh, is it coming back soon? Cause I know, you know, we're, we're kind of on the cusp of some of that coming back. Has there been like any announcements yet? I don't think any official announcements. I know they're working on rescheduling all the venues All right. across the world. Cause it was like a worldwide tour, yeah. year long worldwide tour. So what a time. What a time. Yeah. 
Cool. Well, let's let me introduce Rachel a little bit more because we're super excited to have her on the on our podcast today. I've got Rachel's bio, um, and Rachel and I worked together a a while ago as product managers. But all right, I'm going to read a little bit here, and then Rachel, you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. So, uh, Rachel's technology career has spanned finance, transportation, and her true love, education, which is where we worked together uh, for several years. Starting as a business analyst 14 years ago, she found a love for software and the endless problem solving that comes with it. As a product manager, she built software products that range from mobile apps to large enterprise systems with millions of sessions each month. Uh, She graduated from Western Governors University uh, with a bachelor in IT and received a Women in Leadership Certificate from Cornell and holds 13 IT certifications. Uh, And then outside work, painting, 3D printing, reading, and chasing around your two daughters, which I think we'll talk a little bit more about as we kind of dive into some things. But Rachel, welcome again. And tell us, I mean, do you want to kind of expand on some of the things you have had and are having an awesome career and product? So tell us a little bit more about yourself as we kind of dive into our conversation. Yeah, I had a pretty uh, non-traditional route to a career as people would classify it. Um, graduated from high school and I had offers to some great universities and I saw the tuition bill. My parents weren't in a position to help support it. And I said, this is crazy. Um, no, thanks. I'll just go find a job and make money instead of spending a lot of money. Um, so I started out, um, kind of working, I worked my way up to an executive assistant. And when my executive was let go, the director of the, um, product management office came over and said, Hey, I can make you a business analyst. And little 18 year old Rachel said, cool. That sounds like fun. I had no idea what it was. He sent me the job description. I had to read it five times. (laughs) And I went back to him. So ashamed that like, I have no idea what half of this means, but if you're willing to teach me, I'll work hard and I will learn everything I can. So that's how I kind of got my break into writing requirements and working with developers and launching um, software. And it's kind of just been an endless love story from there. Um, I'm a big time problem solving person. Like I love puzzles. My husband and I are crazy enough. We did a 9,000 piece jigsaw puzzle. Jeez. (laughs) That's my uh, slight obsession with problem solving. I love creating order from chaos and product (laughs) management is the perfect career for crazy people like me. Uh, I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head, creating order from chaos which is kind of like a perpetual thing because everything is like always degrading to chaos. Right. So Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, job security for us, (laughs) for product people. (laughs) Absolutely. Awesome. We, I want to kind of dive into a whole bunch of the different aspects of some of the things uh, that you have been involved with. So you have been involved in education for a long time and you kind of mentioned that that is one of your passions. So Tell us uh, how has education really changed over time, especially as a product, um, as you've worked in it? Like what, what have you seen uh, changing and, and, uh, and well, let's start there. What have you seen changing in education as you've worked in it as a product? 
Yeah, I'll focus mostly on um, post-secondary, so higher mm-hmm. education. I haven't worked much in the K-12 space, um, although, although there's some similarities there. But in, in higher ed, the from the invention of universities, the the intent and the purpose there was to educate people and um, focusing around the institution. So it was a very institution-centric model. It was very focused in on um, tenured faculty and research. And those are very noble quests, but that's not the type of education everybody needs now in 2021. And so what we're, we've seen, and it's continued and will continue going this way, is education has to align with careers and it has to, instead of putting themselves in the middle of the circle of the things they care about, they have to put the students and the learners in the middle of the circle. But so educational institutions have to focus in on students first. That has to be their their first objective. And they really, instead of teaching what they want to teach, they have to look at what industry needs from learners and from graduates to be able to do. So it's a much more skills focused, much more um, kind of practical mentality that's coming along. There's still a lot of value in liberal arts and research, um, but that's just not what most learners need or want. So kind of with this shift, so we've, we've seen, especially over the last year that COVID has moved us online and uh, you have been involved in online education for for quite some time. How has that shift impacted education both recently? And then where do you see it changing kind of the education landscape going forward? Yeah, COVID has been a really tricky situation for a lot of universities, educational offerings. It's primarily hit the lower advantage. So universities or state colleges that are rural and have lower budgets, they don't have the resources to make those kind of switches very quickly. And so it's hit them a lot harder. K through 12 was hit really, really Mm -hmm. hard. Not many K through 12 um, districts were prepared for such a drastic and quick shift, but there's positives that we're seeing come out. The first one is that the myth around online learning being easier than in-person learning, I think has been debunked. <laughs> Anyone who's instructed or taken an online class can tell you. The, the piece there is that the rigor of the material you're learning isn't the same as the modality where you're, you are learning. So there's friction that comes from online learning of having to navigate Zoom and mute buttons. So there is some friction there. But the rigor of the material isn't relevant to that modality. And so a lot of people just had this stereotype in their head that there's all these degree mill online universities with like really ridiculously easy classes that are just milling out diploma after diploma. But in reality, what it is, is those universities weren't having rigorous programs with meaningful criteria that they were teaching the online really had nothing to do with it. They could have done that same thing in person. So that myth has been debunked. The adoption of tech has been accelerated and it's going to continue. Even when we are in this post-pandemic phase, the use of technology in in in-person rooms is going to be increased with engagement tools like Cahoots, where, you know, a K through 12 
instructor may be, or teacher may be running and doing those kind of gamification learning sessions with their students. So even if when they are in person, the, the use of technology has increased. Um, my daughter is in second grade and she's going to in-person learning four days a week. And they, they have a session in every class period where they each pull out their Chromebook and are doing a personalized adaptive learning in math and in English. And that's part of the session. And so that, that tech adoption is going to continue. The other big piece is educational institutions have realized that they have to address social and emotional learning before they can just expect students to learn. And through the pandemic, those social and emotional needs have been drastically increased of what students are needing. And so you saw institutions offering um, housing and, and meals and all of these additional accommodations. Anyone who's taken a psych 101 class can tell you about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You need shelter, you need safety. And if you don't have those things, you're not in a place to learn. And so online learning has increased that, but institutions as a whole are looking at learners in a different way. We're looking at them as holistic human beings and what they actually need from us in this moment, instead of a list of students. Not that everyone looked at them as a list of students, but that wasn't as um, applied of a practice, so to speak. That, that was great. And I really like how you kind of talk about the accessibility to, you know, uh, how students consume material versus the quality of the material itself. And they don't actually, you know, have as direct of an impact. And it's really, um, I don't know if you agree that with with how we are learning and also from the educators side, giving the material, offering lectures, um, however that happens, where it really, I guess, in a way, equalize the, the 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 industry a little bit better just because if you're able to you know um get past that barrier of get through zoom now you have so many more options of materials or like courses that you want to consume i think that's been very interesting and not that i personally am you know taking any courses right now but that's something i've noticed that i i, I find it very interesting of how that whole education industry has changed because of this yeah you see a wider expanse, right? All of a sudden, mm -hmm. my servable customers has increased. And I, I have a hypothesis, I don't know if it'll be correct, but the, it'll continue to kind of dissolve those borders, right? So in, in the US and higher ed, we've talked or thought a lot about learners as international students and mm. in state and out of state, and like we really classify yes. by where they live, and where they came from. And those lines get blurred a lot more now. And I hope they continue to get blurred. I hope we continue to spread that access to education, no matter where you live. Um, I hope that's one of those things that continues. Yeah. I, I think uh, you touched on a really interesting point, Eva, on making kind of the equality of education. Mm -hmm. And then Rachel, you brought up, I think, a really interesting point of it's really forced, I think some places were doing this already and it's really forced everybody to think about not just the, not just what they were doing, but like the entire experience of education. So it's not just that we're teaching and people are, are paying or whatever it is. So it's not just like certain pieces of it, but it's the holistic experience. Like you have to take all of it into account if you're going to deliver a good product basically. And if you're, if you're going to compete on the same level now, cause everybody kind of leveled the playing field and now everybody has to kind of compete 
uh, or will be competing on the same level. And, and you have to kind of take the social and emotional uh, aspects of learners into account if you're going to do that going forward, because like we, like you were saying, like it's starting to blur the lines a lot more and uh, hopefully that continues more and more. I think that's, that's super exciting. I think some people were doing that well and, and hopefully everybody can start doing it a lot better. It'll be interesting, especially as things start to continue to change a lot more rapidly. I feel like we've moved ahead, I don't know, five or 10 years in the course of a year and <laughs> hopefully that just that progress continues. Yeah. 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 It was painful um, <laughs> for, for a lot of institutions. Um, so previously I worked at strategic education and they have two, two boot camps, Hackbright and Dev Mountain. And prior to COVID, both of those boot camps were 100% in-person learning. And the switch to online learning, while it was painful, we were able to switch in a matter of days because we had an LMS and we were tech savvy. That doesn't mean we had everything worked out from day one perfectly. We didn't. We had to make a lot of adjustments and um, alterations to the curriculum and our processes. But it's it's really blurred those lines. And I think everyone's learned that you can deliver a high quality education experience online and remotely. And instead of thinking about students like students, we're starting to think about them as customers and users. And so all of a sudden things like personas and student journeys and all of those tools that we use as product managers are perfectly applied to learning. Oh, that's so that, oh, that's ahead. so interesting, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And and I almost just uh, want to call back to what you mentioned earlier when you mentioned that uh, education needs to evolve in a way that fits with what like the students are wanting to learn and not just, you know, teach things because you should know it, but it's like, why do I need to know these things? Right. Um, again, it kind of fits back to the product mentality mentality of what do we really need? Are we really fulfilling, you know, the user's um, needs with what we're offering? That's very interesting. Yeah. One of the crazy things we did, um, some, some higher ed people may think I'm absolutely crazy. <laughs> Part of when your students are users and you think about them in a user-centric way, you meet them where they are. So when we went online with those boot camps, instead of using a Canvas discussion forum, which is there and exists and is fine, we decided to leverage Discord, the nice. gaming communication platform as our learning community, which worked really well for coding bootcamp students, primarily because a lot of them were already there. So adoption was increased, engagement was increased, and we got amazing metrics behind who's online and how many messages are they sending and who's interacting and who's not. And we were able to get the data behind learner engagement and learner community. And that's absolutely gold when it comes to trying to see what students are doing really well, what students are kind of violently struggling, and how do you trigger those kind of interventions to help them when they need it, which doesn't happen quite so easily in a in a face-to-face -face setting all the time. Yeah. Oh, that um, that's super, super interesting. And I don't know, I'd almost wonder if you, you said some of the Canvas stuff is fine. So I don't know if that's even the case, but <laughs> we might need to cut that part out. Kind. I have a lot of friends who work at Canvas. I love it. It's great for a lot of things, yeah. but it's not great at some stuff. 
Yeah. But I love that, like you mentioned, Discord being the perfect solution because a lot of people are already in it. There's not so much of that friction of getting someone to adopt a new platform or some somewhere is not already part of their day to day. Since, you know, most of gamers, Internet people like are already familiar with Discord and why not just use that solution? They already, you know, know how to use. Right. I, I really love that. That sounds like a, you know, very crazy idea. But then. It really is just breaking out of what we expect the solution to look like and really delivering what makes sense. I, I really love that. So yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, some of our instructors thought we were crazy for a few minutes, but they've seen the value. We even had um, you know, the breakout rooms where you can see where everyone is. And so as an instructor, when it's a self-work time, I have the ability to see where everyone is and who they're talking with. And I can jump in a room and out of a room and check in like I would in person. It's not a perfect solution, but it, it's worked really well. And I, I bet you they wouldn't give that platform up for anything right now. <laughs> I also love that it's branded for gaming and putting it within an education setting. Um, I think that, that, that it's so interesting, but why not? It works. Right. So <laughs> yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. The features there are much more rich than a lot of yeah. forums and communication tools. So Exactly. Super robust. I myself actually am in one of the bootcamp um, channels. I don't participate <laughs> enough, but I definitely see that being very helpful when I, you know, want to ask a question or anything. Many people are already online ready to help out too. So mm-hmm. yeah, that peer to peer connection or, you know, student to student support, so to speak, happens instantaneously because online, someone's always online and there. And when you're in that community together where you're learning the same things and you're knowing the same things, it's really easy to find someone to ask questions to. It's For been sure. really helpful there. Yeah. Uh, Discord, sponsor us. Let us know because we love you here. With Dev Mountain and, and with Bootcamps, I'm kind of interested in, in that. So you were working with strategic education, which includes a lot of these alternative type education platforms um, like Dev Mountain and, and some of these bootcamps. Uh, where do you see some of that going in the future, uh, especially, you know, you mentioned how it was all, uh, all in person initially, and then, uh, moved quickly online. You know, what, what does the future of that look like in your opinion, especially for, you know, a lot of, a a lot of engineers come through that, you know, in the, in the past little while, a lot of UX designers have been coming through, um, boot camps as well. Where do you see that going over the next little while? Yeah. My opinion on boot camps, and I'm obviously very pro boot camp, is that boot camps were created to solve a gap in mm-hmm. a need in the market, right? Just like every product. And the problem was that higher education institutions aren't able to iterate fast enough. Mm-hmm. When it takes two years to release a new academic program, if it's a technology program, the things you've put in there are already out of date. So you have to have a much shorter production cycle instead of being very large requirements, heavy up front, something like a waterfall, you have to have a much more iterative cycle. Agile, we love you too. And Mm -hmm. so um, the interesting part about it, strategic education, most people don't know because it's not everyone knows the name. It's actually the parent company of Strayer University and Capella University too. Mm. But in there is a division solely focused in on alternative education. And the big solutions there that they were looking to build are really focused around employer employability and skills. So being able to make sure you're measuring the skills that a learner is learning within a course levels of mastery, 
and how that skill maps to a job description, a job requirement, and a career is really where a lot of learners are going to be going. Instead of um, going to a registrar's office at a university and just grabbing the catalog and signing up for the course that sounds fun and is cool with the grade and teacher, those are awesome and fun. But what if you could also see the data on what careers that relates to and your earning potential from those careers and how that could impact the trajectory of your life? That's where education is going to go. And there's going to be a lot more employer-funded education. So (laughs) I'm probably a a weird example, but we'll use me, for example. (laughs) I started at um, Western Governors at WGU right before I got hired. But throughout my degree, I worked there as an employee. And so I graduated with, with zero debt and because they offered tuition benefits where you were able to get your degree at 75% off or something like that. Um, That's great as an educational institution because they have those, but other companies are investing heavily in skilling their employee workforce because they can't just hire all of the skills they need. They're learning that they have to invest in people and invest in building those skills and helping people have the right skills. And so I see a lot more employer-funded education, especially while the cost of tuition keeps going up higher and higher and crazy. And you hear a lot about the student loan debt crisis. Um, there's going to be a point where the users, our potential learners, realize that the cost value of that product isn't worth it. And so that's going to have to change that model pretty quickly. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and I think it's fascinating some of the things that are happening um, and seeing some of the... Uh, employer investment in, in some of that, uh, in various different ways. Um, I think that'll be fascinating to see in the future and just how can you, I I was reading some, some more about this, like there's, you know, like income sharing agreements that are becoming more and more common. Like, could you like sell some amount of debt to fund, uh, some of your education or even like equity, like, is there some sort of equity funding that you could do? I don't know. Like there's some interesting things that Mm -hmm. I think will happen in the future, but you're right. Like it's, it's more of an investment and how is that going to play into the future where there are like specific skills that are needed and it's not so much like you go away for some period of time and then come back out into the workforce and like four years later and you have those like a a general set of skills and then you go look for a job like that. That feels, I don't know, almost outdated. Or yeah. will be outdated here in the not too distant future. Yeah, I think ISAs are even just a signal in that direction, right? Yeah. So not everyone knows what an ISA is. It's an income share agreement. It's an agreement you sign similar to a loan, but not considered a loan, um, where you don't pay any of your tuition. And when you graduate, if you don't get a job in X amount of time, your tuition is forgiven, so to speak. Like you don't have to pay that tuition back. But when you do get a job in industry, then you're paying back a percentage of your income that you now have back towards the the company that financed that. And so it's aligning the fact that educators who are educating people with ISAs, we are laser focused on them getting jobs because if they don't get jobs, then that company doesn't get paid. And so it's doubling down on that investment in learner outcomes and providing them relevant education that equals value. And I think those are yeah. those types of options are going to continue and get more and more creative. Yeah. That's such an interesting change in the relationship between, you know, institution that offers, you know, uh, an education experience to how now it's turning more into, um, I mean, first, 
they have a lot more incentives and motivation to make sure you get a job, like you mentioned, right? And it's very interesting because I remember when I graduated college, it was kind of like, good luck. <laughs> and we hope we'll help you, but it's not so much of, uh, there's no motivation for them to make sure I get a job next, right? So the relationship is very interesting. And I, 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 I'm almost curious um, what that ongoing relationship will look like and how, you know, because right now the, the institution is kind of still part of your, you know, career for the long run at this point. Right. So that to me, I'm interested in seeing how that changed kind of how students see their options and, you know, choosing which um, education platform or, or companies or institutions to go with. Yeah, a lot. It's really popular now for a lot of companies to offer career counseling and continued education, whether it be a subscription to like a MOOC or something mm-hmm. where they're investing in you continuing on your career path, continuing your education. And I think all of us have this dream of creating a lifelong learner, right? We want right. to support people in their endeavors learning throughout the rest of their life. And so what does that look like? It, it's it's very different from what you might think of as a, a quote unquote traditional university. Yeah, Right. Yeah. And I think even what we call a like traditional university, if like that definition doesn't change in the next, you know, however many years, that's going to get pushed out very soon. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked about uh, some super fascinating education stuff. And I feel like we could keep going on that for a long time. But I want to talk about your most recent move, Rachel, because you have moved uh, recently to the head of education at product school, which is uh, super sounds super exciting. Product school. Well, why don't you tell us more about it? Because uh, it, it this yeah, it sounds like a super exciting role, a super fascinating place to be for for the future and for product managers. So yeah, tell us more. Yeah, it's it's one of those amazing things where two loves of my life <laughs> have converged into a single thing where. I love technology and product management and the problem solving. And I love education and how providing quality education can really change someone's life. And I've been able to like smash those two things into one job. Still new there. I just finished week number two. So it's pretty early, but I, I really love it. So product school is a training company. Some consider it a bootcamp for product managers. They provide product manager training from the top product leaders in the industry. So they have, Um, high product leaders from Google and Amazon and Uber actually as the instructors of the product manager course for students. So they get exposure into industry leaders, the ability to ask questions and collaborate with other peers. Uh, That sounds really, really interesting. And uh, so product school uh, is, I guess, tell us a little bit more because they're, I think boot camps or training for product managers is kind of a relatively new thing. So we've had like boot camps for uh, developers for longer. We've had, uh, I think UX has kind of came next. I could be totally wrong on this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, then, you're right. And then product management, I feel like is relatively new. I think there's there's been training for product management um, for a while, but not in the same way as we've had for developers in in UX. So it's like a a relatively newer thing. Um, So tell us, I guess, more about like what that is and uh, like what will, what will it entail? Cause like the lineup, if you go to the website, like it's a, it's a super powerful lineup of like product leaders from around 
uh, some really, really big names and big companies and, and around the industry. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited like to hear yeah. more about it. Now, our goal at product school is really to help create a gold standard of what product management means. We're one of those early and kind of young careers that, that not many people heard of. Um, people use terms differently in different companies. What does a program manager mean? What does a product owner mean? What's product, what does a product manager mean? Right. The fact that companies are having to define the titles of the jobs is really, you know, the, the critical point in this industry where we need to create some standardization. So there have been trainings, um, you know, there's pragmatic and there's um, 280, and there's been others that have provided product management training, but they're usually only. 10, 18 hours long. Mm -hmm. They're not very um, robust. They don't necessarily always provide instructor feedback to students on that progression. And so that's the niche that product school is in is we're really interested in helping anyone break into a product management career, whether your tech level is high or not, um, and help you grow throughout that career. So we have a product manager certification course that has a couple different formats. There's an accelerated format where you can come Monday through Friday, kind of nine to five all day long for a full week and drink from the fire hose really fast. <laughs> but there's, there's also a different version of the course where it's a couple nights a week for a few hours, you're joining this um, course in the evenings, be it, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays or Mondays and Wednesdays. And we even have some Saturday courses available to join. So it's really geared around professionals who have a job, who have commitments, but trying to help them upskill to that next level. Very cool. Um, so what, I guess, what do you see as, you, you mentioned, um, you know, terms within the industry and just general kind of a, a, a lack of training, but as far as like actual product managers go and those of us within the industry, uh, where do you see some of the biggest gaps as far as product managers and their knowledge level? Is it kind of within, you know, some of the newer product managers or is there like a, a general area where, you know, product managers like need additional help, generally speaking? Like, is there kind of a place that you've seen? Um, I, I know you're kind of newer there, but just generally speaking that, um, you know, product managers <laughs> tend to need the most training or like the most upskilling. Yeah. The, the big thing that I think of for that question is all product managers need a toolbox of tools to be able to use and apply in different situations. So there's a lot of really great things out there. Um, OKRs and the Kano model and personas and product market fit analysis and quarters five forces and journey maps and design sprints. There's amazing tools out there, but they're not centrally located. They don't know when to apply different tools. and I, I would bet you there's a lot of product managers that have been working in the industry who don't use majority of those things. And so really the training that, that I would love to see is standardization around being able to empower and equip product managers with the right thing to solve things at the right time. And so spreading those pieces out, product school offers a lot of free templates around product roadmaps and um, just trying to provide that type of general centralized terminology and tool set is really going to be helpful so that as we're talking with product managers at other companies or as product managers move from company to company, we're starting to create some consistency 
And um, that consistency will just empower us to have better outcomes and to produce better work. Very cool. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to shift gears a little on us here to, to something you posted on LinkedIn uh, a, a little while ago uh, around coming back from maternity a few years ago. So a lot of us have kids and I think deal with this, but you posted a really, a really great picture of the day you came back from maternity uh, with, I think it was from uh, after having your first child, if I, if I remember the post, right. It, it was my second. It was your daughter. second. Was okay. Second maternity. So you, yeah. you came back after your second daughter and um, talking about how difficult it was and how you were not ready to be back and how she wasn't ready either for you to be back at work and how we need just generally to, to do better about balancing um, parenting and work because one, that's hard, but you know, parenting is hard and, and product is hard. So what, I guess, what are some of your thoughts on how to do that better uh, in the workplace and, and how to balance those things better? Yeah, the, the balance part um, is hard because I feel like a lot of working parents, um, male and female, try and hide that struggle. And that was part of what prompted me to make that post is a lot of my coworkers and a lot of my employees think that I'm someone who has my things together and I'm really well organized and I, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy and upbeat in the office. So a lot of the times we're just putting on this face to try and get through the day and no amount of blazers and professional clothes can, can hide the fact that sometimes there's a lot of struggle. Even non-parents have those types of struggles, right? We know a lot of grief. And so bringing our whole selves together is something that I'm really passionate about and being able to let my employees and my coworkers know that it's okay to reach out to me if you're having a crappy day and just say today sucks. I think more tolerance around not always being great will go a long way for people being able to feel like they can just share where they really are and who they really are. But around the balance piece, I am so, so fortunate because I have the most amazing support system with my family, starting with my husband. He pulls way more of the load than I do a lot of the days. If He's um, kind of pretty nine to five with his his career. And so if I have to work late, he'll pick up the girls from daycare. If, if I'm too exhausted because I'm making a final deadline, he'll cook dinner or figure out what we're doing for dinner. And so having a real partner has been the biggest part of it. But I also have a really great support system with close family around who come over and help from time to time too. But it's it's a lot of prioritization, <laughs> a lot of prioritization frameworks applied to your direct life. Um, you really have to figure out what matters to you and how to make the time because you, you can't have everything. So you just need to figure out how you can have what's most important to you. Yeah. Not to be a cliche. <laughs> no, I, I think that's really good. Um, I think that post you were talking a little bit before we started recording and you mentioned how it went like super viral, which was, which is awesome because it's the kind of thing that I think you mentioned, like we just, one, we don't talk about enough because especially at work, uh, you know, we, we tend to put on almost like 
like the business face of like everything's fine and we'll just deal with this sort of thing outside. And so like it's really and and that's probably what many many of us found refreshing of like yeah, it's not okay. Like I'm not ready like like you said you weren't ready to be back. Your daughter wasn't ready for you to be back. Like everything wasn't okay. And that's like, sometimes it's just really, really difficult. And, and maybe it's not necessarily even about balance. Maybe it's just about the, the acknowledgement of there, you know, sometimes there isn't balance and there isn't necessarily even an answer to it. I don't know. Like that's, I don't know what the right answer to that is, but yeah, I think it's a lot of answers. I'm obviously a very, very big supporter of extending and improving our family leave, not just for maternity leave, but for people who have to go and take care of others in their family who don't have caregivers to be there. I think the fact that some people don't even qualify for FNLA and having any time off, it's really heartbreaking. I didn't really realize that nurses and teachers probably have it the worst. They don't get 12 weeks. They're lucky if they get a few weeks and then they're back at the job standing on their feet all day long. And so um, just, I think it's time for a really real conversation of forcing someone to go back to work when their stitches are bleeding. That's not humane. That's not cool. And it's not fair, but also it, it's around flexibility because it's not same for every family. It's not the same for every person. Um, my first maternity leave, I went back to work at eight weeks and I was dying to get back <laughs> because my oldest daughter was very colicky. She could scream for three hours a day and I just needed a break. I needed a mental switch. So I went back and I couldn't have been more happy to be back at eight <laughs> weeks. But with my second 12 weeks was not enough. She, she didn't sleep through the night till she was 13 months old, Kyle. Yeah. So what kind of work am I producing when I'm chronically sleep deprived? Not my best, yep. but you know, sometimes the only way through is through and you do the best that you can. Um, but it's really hard. Yeah. I, I feel like I always look at, and this is, I don't know, this is like my internal thing. Like one of the first things I do is look at like one, the vacation policy of companies and then like two, the maternity and paternity, (laughs) not that I even use it anymore, but that's like my gauge of like, what, where are the values of, of companies? Like, and like, just to see like, if they, like if they put the a value, like what kind of value they're putting on the flexibility, because you can kind of tell a lot from about a company from just the, the time off that they're, they're allowing people to have from maternity and paternity leave. It's something I almost always bring up to like, what is the, like, what's the, the maternity and paternity policy? And like, I, I don't have any intention of using it at this point, but it's like, I'm always curious because I feel like it's a good bellwether for that sort of thing. So it's, re- that's really interesting. I actually started a new job two months ago and that during orientation was the only question I asked because that was the only one thing they didn't go through. And I was very curious, right? So, I mean, I do not have kids right now. And me and my husband were like talking about it, but, and we're both in products, right? And so it's like, we know life is never going to be, you know, easy breezy when you're in product because fire just happens. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I almost want to say like, we need to normalize, you know, this whole practice of letting people take the time off to take care of their family. Literally, that's what it is. Right. But when we say normalizing, I almost feel like that's an oversimplifying the entire, you know, problem of just the many layers of how we treat work and life. Um, But 
I, I just want to circle back to the, the the post that you posted on LinkedIn too. And I, I would recommend all listeners to go <laughs> check it out. Um, it's so genuine and it's so real and it's a lot of emotions that I think a lot of us um, I mean, I don't directly relate since I don't have kids yet, but I can see myself being in the exact same position when I have kids, right? Um, highly recommended. And and I'm so glad that you posted that. Um, and I, but I do really want to ask, um, cause you mentioned that it went viral and if you take yourself out of the position of, you know, you being the poster of that post, why do you think it went viral and why do people, you know, take that and share that around? Yeah, it it was really hard for me to post. I just want to go out and say that, like it, I had no desire around it going viral, but it's, it's a conversation that's not happening. And I, I think the reason it went viral, number one, it's the ugliest picture of me in the world, but it's so <laughs> raw and it's, it's real, right? I was backing out of my, my car. I had made my husband take my newborn to daycare because I knew I wouldn't be able to like have any makeup left on my face if, if I was doing that. And I was going back to the office for the first time. And I was backing out of my car and I just like, my heart was just in my gut. Like it just sang. And I just, it was not, I had this feeling of like, this is not okay. This is not how it should be. Like, I'm not happy in this place. And the motivating factor, I'm not a selfie person, but the motivating factor around taking the selfie was I want to like document this moment for myself so that when my daughters are having children or if they decide to have children, they don't have to go through it this way. Like that was the big thing for me was I wanted to like, put this stake in the ground at like one of the lowest spots in my life and say, I'm going to remember this pain because I don't want others to have this pain. Um, and even for years, it would come up in like the, on this day photos. And I was like, Oh, I'm not quite ready. Like, Oh, I can't share that. And then finally this year I felt, I mean, it was four years ago. I finally was kind of like holding onto this thing, knowing that someday I would share it. Um, but there, there was a lot of negative feedback and criticism to a lot of people saying, well, then you shouldn't have kids. And well, what did you expect? And it's not fair for me to have to cover that. And businesses are running a, you know, they're running a company and they're, they're doing this and that, but the, the short-sighted piece to that, that a lot of people don't realize is when I got back to work, right. I was working my butt off for that company. And I helped produce something with Kyle, actually yeah. Kyle and yeah. I helped build together a product that's saving that company millions of dollars a year. So intrinsically, they should be motivated to keep me right. and all of their employees, right? Employees are providing value to a company too. And just, yes. um, you know, there it's a two-way door, but a lot of the time women specifically get kind of shamed and shut up because people are telling them like, oh, the ROI doesn't make sense and how selfish of you to want that. But for the rest of my career, I'm very happy to cover and help take the balance load when others are going on maternity leave and I do everything I can to support and, and I'll pick up those loads and pay that back over time, at least tenfold. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I, that's, that's so sad one that there was like negative response to that. I guess that's the internet for okay. you, unfortunately, but agree 100%. Like it's, it's something that it's always been crazy to me to think, especially, um, after having two kids and just thinking about how crazy it would be. Unfortunately, um, my wife, uh, uh, she, she runs a, like a small business from home. So she hasn't had to go back into an office, um, after having our kids, um, which I don't even know how that would be possible. Like in my mind, it's baffled me to think about. And so it wouldn't have worked for us. And so like, I know everybody's different, but 
to to think about how we can make that sort of option more widely available is something that absolutely we can and should be able to do. It's right. I just keep looking at it. it's like it's 2021 like we we can do better. <laughs> well, and with all of our adoption of remote working this yeah. year, I mean at minimum, you know, let them work from home longer yep. if it's an organization that doesn't have remote working as a regular part of their policy, yep. right? Wearing pants and jeans or, you know, whatever it is <laughs> when your body has changed so much, it's difficult. So I'm hoping that with the progress we've made this year, despite it being, you know, in last year, a really difficult thing for a lot of people, maybe there's light that that can help improve and increase that flexibility too. Yeah. I look forward to a future where this is all more uh, accommodating for, to, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you guys as parents or like people who want to be parents. Cause there's just so much that work against you when you have, you know, so much to juggle and then your company's like not <laughs> treating you in a way that, that, that feels, you know, fair, um, when you're helping to contribute so much too. And again, I, I just want to thank you for posting that and, Everyone go, go check it out. It really is a genuinely um, real piece that everyone should read. And it is the ugliest picture of me that exists. <laughs> so <laughs> if you ever are feeling like you're having a bad day, you can just go look at that picture of Rachel Larson looking very, very sad. <laughs> I think that's important for people to see too, but I still want to say that you look good in that <laughs> picture. So putting it out there. Um, so, yeah. And, and, oh, actually, before I move on to, this is something that has been on my mind, um, on this topic too. Again, I personally haven't, haven't gone through that, but I remember watching closely one of my coworkers, um, who's also in, uh, product when I, when I used to work with her, when she was going through the process of coming back to, to work, seeing it firsthand of her going through changes in her own life and then juggling work and also seeing how, you know, the surrounding, cause I mean, working in tech is, still, you know, male dominant. And then some people are really mean and harsh about some of the things that she had mentioned and about, you know, oh, that's TMI, that's too much information. And I watched that and it was so hard because it's like, you have your own family, you have gone through that. How, you know, is that really TMI? Like we all go through this. And um, I, I really hope that in the next however many years, hopefully as soon as possible that we can get past that and all just accept this is, real this is reality that we all have to go through and it's hard for everybody but yeah yeah it absolutely is i've seen a lot of pictures of coworkers after their surgeries showing off their mm. their fresh wounds and scars and that doesn't seem to be a tmi most of the time so you know there is a stigma around it and i i agree i can't wait for us to break down that stigma and and just realize it's it's part of the human experience exactly any family that is a family has has had that agreed all right well, this is, this is good. <laughs> segue from that one, Kai. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's segue from that one to, uh, from the lowest, uh, one of the lowest moments to what has been one of your favorite moments in your career that you can recall? Yeah, this is a fun one. And I, my answer is going to surprise you because it's okay. probably not what you think. Um, my very favorite moment in my career was it when I worked at Western Governors. Um, 
And I was listening to a focus group that was happening in the building kind of next door as I was doing the sad desk lunch, you know, the like eat your lunch while you're working (laughs) kind of thing. I call that the sad desk lunch and I try and avoid it, (laughs) but it is just reality. So I was doing that while I was listening to this focus group um, where the user researcher was asking about um, some of the additional features to add into the mobile app. And we were exploring um, some of the accessibility features, dark mode and those Mm -hmm. things. This was back before dark mode was easy on iOS. Um, And one of the participants in that focus group um, disclosed that they were legally blind and they use the the voiceover feature of their iOS phone and that they were able to use the mobile app um, with with no problem. And it was a really great experience, but but it was allowing that individual to continue studying on their degree while they were at work and they had a job where they weren't allowed to bring in a computer and it wasn't a computer related job. And so they were getting their education while legally blind on a mobile device. And my food was saltier because I was like <laughs> crying into my food because it's very rare in products that we have these moments where we really get to see how we touch and change people's lives. And I feel like those are so precious and like that's the fuel for everything we do is knowing that we're building things that are making people's lives better and so to be able to hear it in that kind of a way was just like that's everything like if I could sum up my career in one accomplishment like that would be probably one of my most proud accomplishments ever that's amazing yeah I, I think that really is what it's what it's all about is actually making a significant difference and hopefully if you're, if you're in product or UX, like those are the kind of things that you really do live for. If you can actually, especially make an impactful difference in somebody's life in that way. So I love that. Thanks for sharing that, Rachel. Like you've had, wow, you've had like some, some like chill moments in this interview. Like, I don't even know if we have like a time, we'll have to, we gotta, we've got to do more of these, like where they just like hit you right in the, right in the heart. Rachel, you've, you've, you've had a couple of those where it's like, wow, I'm getting like chills on a few of these. This has been, this is, these are so good. Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah. The highs and the lows, right? Yeah. Right. Like we're just, we're, we're going through all of it. Yeah. Eva, I, I don't know if we can top any of this. So. <laughs> this is the highest. I mean, we're only in uh, April out of 2021. We need to <laughs> continue to go up, but I do agree that this is definitely uh, we have covered a few things I, I I really appreciate that we were able to talk about, but I also want to kind of kind of comment on what Rachel mentioned too about those the the good moments. Um, is that sometimes I do think that product people are the biggest like people pleasers. That is literally kind of our job in a way. Um, but at the end of the day, that feeling is so good and it's so rewarding to go through all the chaos to to get that you know positive um, story of this is how it's you know. Uh, I've impacted somebody's day or life and yeah, I don't know. Do you guys think we are people pleaser? It sounds bad at first. Oh, for sure. I am like, I am type a perform, perfect, prove, please (laughs) everybody. Disappointing anyone is still something my therapist will tell you I struggle with. (laughs) It's not easy. I love to make everyone's life better. Fix that. Fixer. Exactly. And we want to please our users. Right. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what's on my mind um, all the time is users. I'm a people pleaser and it sounds bad at first, but that really is the core of what drives my day sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's that relationship, that natural empathy, right? Having yep. empathy for your for your users um, is one of sure. the most important things when you're building them a product, understanding their pain and making it better. Yeah, exactly. Um, is there anything we want to add before we move into our shout outs or gripes? If anyone has I'll, anything to add, I'll ask one last question, and then Rachel, you can finish up with anything that you want. But uh, what would be if you were to give like one piece of advice for people in their product careers? What would what would that be? Or just besides one piece coming of to in product general. school, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> besides coming um, to the most amazing. Um, shameless plug, super shameless. Um, my, no, my first recommendation would honestly be to read inspired by Marty Kagan. And if someone who's looking to become a product manager gets to the end of that book, and if you're not passionate about jumping in head first and, and taking on those problems, because that's really a lot of what product management is, is problem solving. Um, then I would recommend taking a really long look at why you think you want to be a product manager. I think that book captures it so well, um, the joys and the struggles and what the career is like. And so I think that's really a really low risk, low time commitment on ramp to seeing if, if it's something you're interested in. Yep, 100%. All right, cool. Well, this has been a great, great conversation so far. So Anything else you wanted to add, Rachel, before we jump into the end here? Well, thanks for having me. This has been a whole lot of fun. Okay. I really appreciate it. I don't have anything else to, okay. to throw in. No curveballs from me. <laughs> Not today. Maybe next time. All right. All right, Eva, you want to kick us over? Oof. Okay. So this is our famous... Well, is it famous? It's so famous. <laughs> Um, I know we have thousands of listeners, so do we? I, yeah, we'll get there one day. But yes, thousands of our... listeners and <laughs> and tons and tons of downloads. Um, That's yes. right. Don't check our stats. Oh, just I was just checking. Him. I was soon. just checking them yesterday. <laughs> oh, should we? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the offline. But let's go into our <laughs> shoutouts and and we still haven't been able to come up with a name uh for this but i would like to call us are you a lover or are you a hater uh corner um anyways <laughs> please put us any name ideas for this um this week i have a shout out that i want i want to kick us off with um this is going to be near and dear uh to lots of people that experience allergies <laughs> <laughs> so during this beta spring period i have to check um two things pola.com best friend because it tells me every day how miser miserable I'm going to feel. Um, it just very simple. It does one thing, tells you the allergy index and what trees or what pollen is, you know, what types are in the air. And I found out through the method of elimination that I'm very allergic to elm trees, anything else that's fine. And I started using a new app called clarify. Um, the app is kind of funny. The logo is kind of this creepy little smiley face. I kind of like it. Um, but it kind of gives you more tips and tricks and it kind of tells you, Oh, today you're okay to go outside and run. Um, I love that human touch until hearing the app is telling me it's going to be okay. Makes me feel a little bit, a little bit more. Okay. But yeah, just want to give a shout out to pollen.com and then clarify. So that's, that's my shout out this week. Rachel, do you want to go next? Yeah, we're doing the ones we love. 
right? I've got a love um, and a hate. Oh, do, oh, do both. Perfect. Yeah, go for it. Do both. Yeah. I've got both. Let's start with hate. <laughs> you shouldn't even say this, Kyle. You can cut it if you want. Um, no, never. Can, I, can you just say that I hate that. Google Meet? After Zoom, <laughs> after Teams, after go to meeting. I know Google Meet is free. Like I have to acknowledge that. I know that others are paid and this is free. But when people share their screens and I can't zoom in, I've got old lady eyes and I can't see what they're sharing. So Google me, I love you, but add a zoom feature in when people are screen sharing, please, 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 because people like me can't see anything. So that's my hate yep. until they solve that. Um, one I love newly addicted to, I don't know how I'm, I'm late to this party. So I love Hue, the color matching game. A lot of UX designers are real big on it. Um, I just got tipped off to it and I was almost done beating it. It's a game. And then my seven-year-old daughter was like, mom, what are you doing? And, <laughs> and I went back to the beginning and I've been replaying it with her and it's been so much fun. She's actually really good at it. So I might be making a future UX designer uh, into, you know, 10 more years, 20 more years, 30. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I'm, I'm not aware of that one. So I'm going to have to check that out. It's a... So it's a game you said. Yeah, it's a game where you um, get like a gradient grid okay. and then it mixes them all up and you can put them back into the right gradient order. So it's a lot about shades and hues, mm. hence the name I love hue. Right. Um, and some of them are tricky. You like move a little square over and then it completely changes color on you. It's that really fun, like visual illusion oh, stuff. Nice. Okay. And it doesn't and that, like, they don't actually change the color of it, but the context in which it's right. in looks very looks different. different. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to try yeah. that. I bet my kids will like that too. I want yeah. to like and upvote and follow everything you just said, because yes, I love you. It was such a great game. And also Google meet such dumpster fire. <laughs> so, and we often, I think Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. We have said a lot of bad things about Google on this yeah, podcast. Yeah. So this is definitely on theme and, and, and there's definitely a lot that we know Google can do, but I don't know why they're not doing. Don't like Google meet. Don't like Google chat. I don't know. Rachel, uh, Rachel, are you guys using Google chat too? We're slackers. We slack. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I, my new job doesn't use Slack. We're on Google chat. So Google meet and Google chat. Mm -mm. Don't like them anyways. Yeah, Google, yeah, Google's product portfolio, they always are, they're interesting. They do a lot of interesting things and it's very disjointed and could use, it could use some unifying and some love. So just in general. Yes. Yeah. They can even throw an ad in the bottom corner. I'll take an ad if it increases my features. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do they need that ad money? Because I mean, they I don't. thought they, they just need to fix it. <laughs> exactly. That's how they can That's fund it. You can fund it purely by ads. There's your ROI. I just want them to fix it. I know they can. I know they can if they want to tomorrow, but they just need to get it together. Right? Yep. Yep. Okay. All All right. What do you have? Yeah. Shout out to, so I've got a shout out for Khan Academy. Like we've been using that mm. um, for our kids and uh, for, for just a little bit now and super, super cool. So we've been doing at home learning and uh, some of it that we have been doing through uh, the school has been like, it's been okay. And, but some of it has been like dragging lately. So we, we started doing Khan Academy 
to, to supplement way, way better. Like, it's just, I was super impressed. Like as we started to do that, like they're still a little young for a lot of what they have, like you can kind of grow into it, but you get like a parent dashboard that can, that shows you a whole bunch of stuff, like what they're doing. And like, it's just a lot more challenging than what they were doing. Like it really just upped the level significantly. I was just, I was super impressed. I mean, obviously I knew about it and like we had dabbled in it a little bit to actually like get in there and set everything up and, and get our kids going. Like I was just, I was expecting a lot and I was, I was, uh, I was not disappointed by the learning that we, once we got going with it. So it was uh, a cool shout out, yeah, a well-deserved shout out there. On Salomon Khan gives it all away for free. Totally free. It's a free it's, service and it's super high quality yeah. engagement content. It's phenomenal. Um, amazing. Um, that's probably the other part. It's amazing that this is free. Like the, the, the quality that you get for a free product is just it's phenomenal. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's it. Just a shout out this week. Yeah. yeah. I've been curious about that. Um, and I need to partake since it's also free. It's always come down to work-life balance. <laughs> so I'm really excited to maybe try it out this weekend. Khan Academy, right? Yeah. Yeah. The best in online learning yeah. besides product school. I was going <laughs> to say, Rachel, <laughs> we are tech, you know, technically we're remote learning because mm-hmm. it has live instruction, fun little geek moment, kind of geek out. There's a difference. So online learning is a learner and the content on their own, kind of self-paced, so to speak. Remote learning is an instructor teaching to a student remotely just using technology. There's my one gripe. Those are different. Good to know. Get lumped in. Yeah, I, don't, I, I didn't know about the official definition of how these are different. Um I, I really would love to have another episode with Rachel because this has been really eye-opening because I I know that, you know, the education side of product exists, but while you're just <laughs> deep into your own corner of the world, it's kind of come out and see, oh, that's what's happening on the other side. And it's so fascinating to hear um, just you talk about all these things that are changing and you as a, you know, parent and, and it's been it's been amazing. Yeah, I can come and geek out on skills taxonomy next time. (laughs) There we go. Yes. Assessment authenticity, Kyle. That's a good one for us. (laughs) That is. We we can go deep into, into, yeah, assessment authenticity and and all the ways that we we make sure that you cannot cheat on your assessments. Oh, pretty good technology. It's so good. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's a, it was a hot topic. It, it is a hot topic, especially during the pandemic. It was a hot topic mm. for a while. And, um, there was a lot of, oh, yeah. a lot of debate, a lot of interesting things that came up about it, but yeah. Oh, maybe that can be our next episode <laughs> next time when we have Rachel back. Cause I am very curious what that's all about. It's been, yeah, here and there picking up, uh, from the news, what's going on there. So that's mm. interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. Anything else? No, where, uh, where can, is there anywhere that uh, people can find out more about you, Rachel? Um, yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn, rlarson721. That's me. Okay. I don't Twitter. I don't tweet. I I try to like look at it, but I just don't need another. I'm going to get so much hate and gripe for this. I'm I'm a non-Twitter person, which is bad in product. You can't not be a Twitter person, <laughs> right? Um, but now I can claim education. so. 
I'm an educator. I don't have to tweet. (laughs) (laughs) That's a different corner of the world. (laughs) I have a Twitter, but I am not active at all. I'm just creeping on everyone else that are, you know, talking and Kyle definitely is probably the most active out of all three of us. So I'm on, yeah, I'm on Twitter. You can find me there frequently. Yeah. Or we'll meet in clubhouse. Clubhouse is kind of fun. There we go. Oh, that's a new one too. Yeah. I feel I've been, so I have been thinking about doing a, a clubhouse, but I just, I've not had the, the time yeah, or, or the follower account. I was late. I was super late getting there. So. Oh, anyway, me too. Yeah. Got to be an early adopter. Right. And I just I could, not get, <laughs> could not get in. Sorry, Android people. Yeah. Mm. They're all still mad. They are. But who knows? Tomorrow there will be a new app that nobody's on. And then next thing you know, we're already behind again. Um, So there's that. It's just a never, yeah, never ending cycle. But um, well, that's the episode. And thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Um, And how do we say goodbye every time? Do we just toss out a goodbye? I think so. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah. Peace out. <laughs> see, see you. Thank, thanks again, Rachel. This was, this was really great. Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. See ya. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find out more about us and our podcast on our website, at productbydesign.co. You can also follow us on Twitter at prodbydesign. That's at prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Larry Evans. And you can also find Eva on Twitter at Yan Chow Chow. See you next time. <laughs>